Welcome to another episode of the All Ears podcast with me, Luke Barnett. This is a podcast I started because in the fighting world, when I started fighting, I thought I got pretty good. And the more I learned about fighting, the less I realized I actually knew. And since I've left the fighting world and come into the business world or the real world or whatever you want to call it, I feel the same way. The more I learn about sales funnels and business and all this stuff, I realize I know nothing and I need there's a lot to learn out there. So I try and bring interesting people in that have you know done something interesting with their lives. We chat, I learn some stuff, and hopefully you learn some stuff. Always start off uh, with a question. So what's harder, growing up as a fat kid and being like chubby, or taking a brick and mortar business and taking it online? I would say it's brick and mortar business and taking it online because you've got to deal with people on both sides, but one of them is going to be more emotionally scarring than the other because by the time you take on a brick and mortar business, you've got the scars that have made you tough enough to do it. Tough enough to do it. Tough okay. enough to do it. But you, okay, so but growing up, <laughs> let's talk about growing up fat because I never, never happened to me. I was, that was you the opposite. Grew up tall, right? I grew up tall, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I, I was. I was bullied as a kid, um, but bullied in a different way because my mum was religious. My mum was Jehovah's Witness. So we never had Christmases, we never had birthdays. So it'd be like, you come to school after Christmas, be like, oh, what do you get for Christmas? I'd be like, nothing. And you, you know what kids are like. So it was, I was different and it was tough, uh, but I wasn't fat. So at least I had that on my side. Um, you said to me, I didn't even know that about you, but we were chatting and you said that you struggle with obesity. And obviously there's a lot of people out there that struggle and it's now kind of like your passion and what you do with your job and you help so many different people. So how was that growing up? It was difficult, man, you know, and I think it's um, many, many people are going to go through various different things. And I think whatever you grew up with, you probably wanted something different and vice versa. But for me, <clears throat> it was a challenge and I think it isolated me a lot. I spent a lot of time alone because I was not necessarily because of the bullying, but because I was more ashamed of myself. And that was difficult. You know, I'd, I was never not popular. I had a close group of friends and I was quite good at melting between different groups. But at the same time, I took a lot of stuff personally. You know, if people were calling me names, if they were doing certain things, I did take it personally. What I was quite lucky with is because I was such a fat fuck, I didn't really get physically bullied if that makes sense, because I was bigger and heavier than most people. That, and I could take a punch, right? I grew up in York the earlier years of my life, down to Devon in the, the kind of second half of my childhood. And I could take a punch and people knew that I would also punch back. You know, for, for all of the things that happened in my childhood, my mom used to say, if someone hits you, hit them back. It's yeah. as simple as that. So um, <clears throat> it left its scars, but those scars have been exactly what turned me into a better adult on many levels, including the kind of solitude and choosing to be alone a lot of the time. That came from that. And that's also been one of my, I think, biggest strengths as I've got older. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And we talk about framing a lot on this podcast, but being like comfortable alone and by yourself is something that a lot of people struggle with now. I think especially with uh, social media and interaction and, and attention, all that crap. So to be able to like sit in a room and not have to worry about other people's opinions and just be on your own, I think that's like a skill now. I think that's something that people don't actually have because everyone's like, no one ever sits on their own. No, you're never alone because you always have your phone. So the moment you're sitting in the room on your own, you look at your phone, you, you scroll Instagram, you look at X, you look at all the other crap. It's like, you're never actually alone. I, I say this with my wife, like I'm, I travel an obscene amount, but we're always together. I'm never away from her because she can always ring me. My dad, when he was traveling, he used to work on uh, cruise lines and he'd be away six weeks at a time, they call each other once once a week. So I, I feel like that 
ability to be happy on your own is something that people have struggled with. And maybe being, I made jokes about it, but being like a fat kid, <clears throat> do you think that's harder now because the bullying, I mean, I don't know why we're talking about bullying, but the bullying continues when you go home with social media and all this sort of stuff? Or do you think it was harder back then? Uh, honestly, I think it's probably harder now. I think social media has been an amazing thing for the world on very many levels in connecting people in various different ways and allowing people to create money and revenue streams in so many different ways. But it's also, <clears throat> social media has connected everyone, but it's disconnected everyone, which is a really weird thing. It stopped people from having face-to-face -face interactions, human interactions like this. And I think we have masked, we've masked what we think is happiness with this fake world, this fake friendship, you know, oh yeah, these are my friends. These are, no, they're not. You've never met them. You might message them here and there. And I think people are getting lonelier and lonelier because we're just surrounded by this mass of activity all the time. And people can't be alone. People really struggle. And I think that in itself is really, really damaging. Psychologically, it's super damaging. Because if you, for whatever reason that may be, you know, if you fear being with yourself and dealing with your own demons and asking yourself hard questions, which silence allows you to do, you're sitting there on your own, whether it's sitting on the beach or wherever, and you start to think about the stuff that you should be thinking about, that really, really helps. Because if you can't deal with yourself, you, you'll never learn to deal with other people. I think that's really, really damaging at the moment. Uh, you said sitting on the beach because you're fortunate enough to, to <laughs> be in Spain a lot and be yeah, in yeah. Dubai and everywhere else, but maybe sitting on a council estate is the same thing. But uh, yeah, I think for me, what, what I struggle with and why I ask the question, and there's a great answer, and I, I completely agree that I think we are more disassociated now than we've ever been and people are more lonely than they've ever been and more depressed than they've ever been but when we talk about weight and we talk about being fat the thing that i can't understand is that when you were a kid and you were growing up you didn't have access to the knowledge mm. that you have now like if, if you have a phone in my opinion you have knowledge unlimited to, from people all these inspiring people that are talking yourself included we're going on about exercise and nutrition and how to eat. I always thought that being fat was a like a gap in knowledge and that misunderstanding of how food worked. And now it's so easy to learn about mm. how we're dieting and nutrition and exercise and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like surely it should be easier to not be a fat kid now. I think it is, absolutely. But there's, there's two sides to that, right? Is the internet has given us every bit of information we could possibly want at our fingertips in an instant. As we move into AI, that's gonna get even easier. But the problem is, you know, we were part of a generation where when you got home from school, you go and play football or you go and play or you go and play Kirby. You'd be out in the street, whatever Kirby. it was. You don't remember Kirby? Standing Kirby? on two sides of the road, throwing the ah, ball at the yeah, curb. Yeah, so we used to call yeah, it Kirby. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But you'd get off your ass and you go and do stuff. And I think we were really, really lucky in that that we've had both sides of the coin. We had the physical activity when we were kids and we had the internet. Whereas I think it's getting more and more and more difficult to encourage young people to get off their ass now because the world is too convenient. You know, humans are problem solvers, right? We find ways of making everything more efficient, more convenient for us, but it means that we're getting lazier and lazier and lazier with every generation. So yeah, despite the fact that all of the information is at your fingertips to do the right thing or to be leaner or to exercise, the technology is making us less inclined to exercise. It's one of those kind of semi-paradoxical situations in that our progress has called regress. And I think that's, a, 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 that's an issue, right? And it's gonna be an issue that continues to get a lot worse over time. But So you find that a lot with clients that you deal with that that's, so how do you solve it? What's the steps that you try and like implement to them have mechanisms where they think, because like, I know we, we, we'll talk about fitness and all that sort of stuff. Because I remember when I was 
professional athlete, training every day. I just couldn't understand how people were fat. I couldn't understand it. My brother, who's also in great shape, he wasn't a professional athlete, he used to always bang on to me about 10,000 steps. Mm -hmm. And I was like, bro, you don't need to do 10,000 steps. Just go to the gym, stop being like, no, no, 10,000 steps, 10,000 steps. Now I've stopped fighting. I've been about two, maybe three years. Started traveling, started boozing, started eating. And now I have gone from having 8% body fat (laughs) to at the top, I had 26%. Now I'm, I'm about 19. It's on the way back down now. But... What are the mechanic, like the real things that change the dial for you or your clients? Or what do you find? I mean, the the main reason that people are not doing what they should be doing, the reason it's all swing is because people buy into their own bullshit. It's going to be the simplest answer to that is that people, we've become a society where we will find a justification for doing the things we know we should feel guilty about. We're aware of it. And there's always, you know, there's evidence to suggest whatever you want to suggest, right? They will be able to find somebody who says, oh, this is bad for you. That's great for you. Now, a classic one with loads of clients is resveratrol is a supplement that's very good for the heart, and it's high, quote-unquote, high quantities in red wine. So clients will smash back loads of red wine and say, yeah, but the doctor says it's got resveratrol in it, so I should have two glasses a week. Oh, sorry, two glasses a night. I'm like, right, so you've got 700 calories worth of red wine a night or just a supplement of resveratrol, which is going to have 20 times the amount. We find ways of saying, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to find a reason why I should, and then I'm going to justify it to myself. And the same occurs with whether it's athletes, whether it's trainers. The more knowledge you get, the more reasons you have to do the things you shouldn't do. Me, for example, you know, I'll find ways. Oh, fuck, I need a refeed. I need a refeed today. (laughs) I've been dieting hard for a week. I need a refeed. I don't need a refeed at all, but I'll find a way to justify the science to myself. It's human nature, right? We will find ways to do what we want all of the time. And it's not necessarily always the best for us. I think uh, you said about uh, self-justification. I think that's a very, like, you can just now, I believe, with having that internet and having the access to the information, like you said, like, even if you don't know how to justify the thing, you can Google how to justify the thing and work Absolutely. out. And you can, and clever people work that out, right? As in, if you're, mm-hmm. you, you have a bit of intelligence to you, you can justify things and you can have arguments in your own brain and you can work it out. So I think... Avoiding that is going to be very, very difficult. You mentioned Restrevitol. Restrevitol. Resveratrol. Resveratrol. My wife tries to make me take that, and she puts it in a thing for me to take. What does it do? So resveratrol is very, very good for your heart, circulatory system, and inflammation. Um, And the majority of us are extremely systemically inflamed. All of us could do with, you know, if we look at uh, mortality factors, most people, if they die of natural causes, are probably going to die of heart disease in some form or cancer, right? A lot of those are going to be helped significantly by reducing inflammation, helping the cardiac system, et cetera, et cetera. So it's one of those givens that, providing you're not doing two glasses of red wine a night, that taking supplements like that can be really, really beneficial. And over time as well, we're getting so much more information on what supplements work, what supplements don't work. We're catching up with a lot of stuff that maybe we were wrong about in 10 years' time. And now we say, right, resveratrol is the best for this or glutamine is the best for that or blah, 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 blah. It's not to say it's right, but everything we know at the moment suggests that it's going to be a good thing to add to your supplements regime or this. Well, that's because obviously from fighting my whole body, I was walking down the stairs carrying a couple of bags with my mate. My mate's like 50. I mean, he's 48, so I feel like bad saying he's 50, but he's almost 50. And I was carrying <laughs> these bags. you don't mention his name, you're yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> but he knows who he is, and he's probably going to watch it. Um, and I was carrying these bags down the stairs, and my shoulder was hurting, my knee was hurting, my hands. It's always my, yeah, my, my, my hands. And this older dude was like, and I said, how am I the like broken one? And you're, it's because I've damaged my body for course, years right. on years on years. And I find that the... 
like this interesting like restrovatol or whatever but the the uh, inflammation in my hands especially if i'm drinking like fizzy drinks and mm. like carbonated drinks yeah. and, and and have a bad diet it i literally cannot close my hands because they're so inflamed so if if i want to have a bad diet to do a couple of vodka rebels you know you get on the lash if I take Restrevitol, then it'll deal. Sadly not. <laughs> if, I, if only that was the way it works, right? You know, there are definitely supplements you can take to help that kind of shit. And I think, especially with your past, there is nothing more brutal than what you've done. There is nothing more punishing to the body than the sport that you dedicated your life to. There's always going to be a consequence to that, right? Always, always, always. And when you're young, you don't feel it that well. I'm sure you did feel getting punched in the face, but you feel it a lot less. Right? I remember going into the gym when I was 23, 24. I'd do something stupid. I'd be like, oh, fuck. Wake up the next day, I'm like, Ah, sweet, I'll train it again. Whereas now, I leave the gym think, I've had a sick workout, wake up the next day, oh, fuck, something's gone wrong, right? Age does that to us. But there are steps you can take, things like a resveratrol, curcumin is amazing for pain relief and uh, inflammation, and high doses of omega-3 fish oil, amazing. These are kind of things that, certainly curcumin and omega-3, everybody should be taking every day, especially someone who's taken the kick in that you have uh, in the past. But ultimately there are two stages to curing anything number one is to stop doing what's hurting you and number two is then to remedy the damage that's already been done you know this is you know, drinking's a big one we're all guilty of it right you know a lot of the the lifestyles that many of us lead it's, it's partying right especially as guys we go around we travel whether it's dubai whether it's here whether it's ibiza alcohol really fucks up the system but it's fun if you really want to start to fix a bunch of stuff dropping alcohol for six months could do unbelievably positive things for your body um but most of us don't want to do that so we'll look at a supplement and we'll say do you know what i'm going to keep drinking at the weekends but i'll just take more of this supplement and surely that'll do something it's not pissing in the wind you know even the best the absolute best supplements in the world may give you a five percent edge that's it if you continue to do the shit that that supplement's trying to fix you've negated the five percent edge anyway it just becomes an expensive thing you spend money on every single uh every single month because yeah, that's why you're talking about justification <clears throat> we're talking about it earlier and that's what that's what i me seeing as a professional athlete for a long time people would come to me for advice about training i'm not like qualified in anything so i but i would just lived it so a lot of people would come to me how to do this how to lose weight i would cut weight and lose these huge amounts of water and all this sort of stuff so they would come to for me for my advice and i'd be like I'm searching for that thing that gets me 1% better because I've done all the work to get here. So I've done the bulk of the hard stuff and I'm just getting the little, you know, there was a thing going around about cherry juice, I think it was, mm -hmm. like a, a, ages ago that helped your oxygen levels or something like that. You know, all these little tiny things, cold plunges, yeah, one yeah. that you see and saunas and all this sort of stuff. That's all great, but you can't justify your bad lifestyle and the fact that you, mm. you're, you're lazy but I've got to do cold plunge though. So I'm, you know, it's yeah, like exactly. those things that are meant to give you a 1% edge, you have to do the bulk load of the Absolutely. stuff, right? So I find that's how we self-justify. So that's something that I would do with Restrevatol, if you say, mm, yeah, yeah. I can, but I can't Sweet, actually. I can have I 12 pints instead of three now. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't work like that. But there's also the difference. You've mentioned the 1%. At elite athlete level, 1% makes a difference. It absolutely does. You know, you look at a sprinter, for example, 1% is the difference between first and fourth. It makes a difference. For Dave, who works on security at some club in Rotherham, it doesn't make a difference. Sorry, Dave, mate. Sorry. Yes, yeah, apologies, anyone <laughs> called Dave, right? It doesn't make a difference, but people get into their brain that it does because they see this bodybuilder, this professional athlete, this so-and-so, oh, it makes a difference, so it's, it's, it's the cure for me. They don't live like you do. 
You know, if you look at your regime when you were fighting, it's extreme. You know, we're talking about your water loading and water dropping. It's one of the most unhealthy things you can do for your body and you fucking feel it. You wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but that's elite level athletes. 99% of people in the world, more than that, significantly more than that, and everybody almost listens to this, they're not at that level. So all of this shit becomes completely irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Yeah. You know, even, even supplements to some degree, eat your fucking food. Maybe you need to spend 50 quid a month on supplements on top of that, but eat your food and then you're sweet. There's a, a guy mm. called Eddie Abu. Do you know I know him? Eddie Abu, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hilarious. I don't know yeah. if you've seen him. My wife got me into him <laughs> and he's walked around the supermarket, picks him up and says, this is shit. Yeah. Don't put this in your fucking body. It's just brilliant. I just love him. Anyway, so shout out to Eddie Abu. Like, uh, if he, uh, he, he's the guy the same. And there's, when I was fighting, talking about weight cutting and everything else you said about, I used to do an extreme thing that people still don't understand or even maybe don't believe. But in 24 hours, I would cut between 11 and 14 kilos mm. in weight. All that weight would only be water, so it did nothing to me. But there's a whole system to it that takes like 10 days yeah, of yeah. water loading, sodium loading, breaking all these things off. But as you, I did it over 40 times. So when you say it's like the most dangerous thing you could do, I've like literally lost sight in one of my eyes, gone death like during the, the, the process mm -hmm. to make the weight because I'm six foot six and I used to fight 84 kilos middleweight. So I'd do these extreme, extreme weight cuts um, and then I'd have to have a cage fight the next day. So that's mm -hmm. the thing that people don't understand. But now my life from doing all of that sort of stuff, I honestly, it, it was, to me, it feels like 10 lifetimes ago mm. that I even was in this world. I don't even feel like I've ever had a fight before, which is a, is a crazy thing to say. Like I know everything about it. Yeah. everything but my connection to the sport my brain has just evaded it and moved on to the next thing so i'm now trying to look into how i'm going to repair the damage to my body that i caused but i kind of forget that i caused any damage so i'm like yeah struggling with the whole the whole thing but but when i was working sorry when i was working with the doing all that i worked with a guy called mike dolce i don't know if you know mike dolce he had this thing called the dolce diet and loads of people hated on him because he didn't have the qualifications or you know whatever but his ethos, which I believe 100% in, and it's kind of similar to Eddie Abu, that's why I bring it up, is like, if you just eat real food... Agreed completely. Yeah. You can't lose. There's no way you can lose. And I've, I've done the carnivore diet. I've done all these crazy things just for a bit of a, bit of a mess around. But if you literally just, what is, uh, they say, like if you turn the package around and you read the ingredients, if you can pronounce everything on the package, then you're allowed to eat it. That's Mike Dolce's approach, right? And he got loads of hate for this. And I was like, bro, like it just makes total sense to me. So if you eat a whole food diet and everything is real food, it's so difficult yeah. to eat high calorie. It's hard to go wrong. I, I had to do, when I was fighting, training, training six hours a day, I'd have to hit like four or 5,000 calories. I'm sure you know bodybuilders that maybe mm. have to even go higher. To eat 4,000 calories of like meat, yeah. or like it's almost you, impossible. You kind of have to eat some shit when you're at that kind of level, yeah. yeah. So it's like these, these people, If you, I'm just saying, I've gone a bit of a rant, but if you're like struggling with weight and all that crap and you're looking for obviously getting coaches and getting mentors, great. If you just eat whole food and walk a little bit, mm. it's like a good start for everyone before you start worrying about the 1% bullshit you know what I mean the issue is is that everyone wants it fast like the approach of cleaning up your food eating the right nutrients all of this type of stuff it is the solution it's really really simple now yeah the quality of the food is a little bit lower than it's ever been it's not absorbing nutrients from the soil like it used to so you're gonna have to maybe supplement with some with certain things but everybody wants that end result yesterday and they know that if I just make these changes which are the right changes it's gonna take me six months 
That's what people can't get their heads around. So what they'd rather do is instead of saying, I'll eat all of this food, is they say, do you know what? I'd rather starve myself for the next three months or three weeks or six weeks and then shit, I'm there, fuck, it's worked, but I've got a week again now. And then they just barrel back up. They haven't changed their habits. They've done nothing that's thinking forwards. They've thought, right, I'll do this now. They're not thinking ahead, which is a disaster for everything in life, as we know. No, I think um, <laughs> I had a chat with someone recently and they put on, I was a, a guy called Pascal in Dubai. He's a magician, sick guy. Um, he's put on a load of weight, like 20 kilos or something. And I said, oh, how long did it take you to put the weight on? And he's like, about three years. I'm like, okay, so how quickly do you expect to get rid of it? Like, if you put it, if it took three years to put it on, in my mind, and this is just, and this is, I have no evidence to this. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it's, okay, so it's gonna take you three years to get rid of it. Like, you, yeah, you can get rid of it quicker, but if you make slight changes to your habits and start doing properly, yeah. it's still gonna take those three years. So, what sort of, I mean, what sort of advice do you give to people when they're trying to, they've done that, they've spent three years doing shit. How long does it, how long? How long can you get real, real results? You can get real results really, really, really quickly, way faster than anybody thinks. However, you need to manage your expectations because you're going to lose what you, uh, your loss is going to be relative to the effort you're prepared to put in. Not even the effort you're prepared to put in, that's the wrong word. The sacrifices you're willing to make. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They will, every one of us lies on a continuum. Some people are gonna find it really easy. They walk past a set of dumbbells, put on three kilos of muscle and lose 6% body fat. We all know that dickhead and we all hate them. Like you and I his have got- name, His name's Mike Thurston. I can say Mike Thurston, right? But the thing is, fairness to Mike, he does train fucking hard and he eats damn clean. But is, um, we all know those people, you're just like, you motherfucker, like how? Some people lie at that end of the scale. Others lie at this end of scale. People say, oh, this doesn't work for me. It does, it just might not work as fast as that person. You've just got to stick at it for longer. And this is what people are not prepared to do. Um, and I think if people can go in managing their expectations and say, do you know what? I'm not just gonna try and drop this really, really quickly because the faster you drop it, unless you've done it perfectly and you have the right guidance and mentors or whoever, you are gonna put it back on, for sure. It's coming back on. Whereas if you can change your state of mind from, right, I wanna get this, weight off by this time to, I just want to get this weight off. The chances are you'll make different decisions on the way down. And then your choice is, do I want to lose weight now or do I want to keep it off? And if you do it the right way, you'll keep it off. If you do it the wrong way, it will just come back on. And a massive issue with that. And I think some of this, the fitness industry is changing and the health industry is changing a little bit, but ultimately the most commercially successful weight loss tools are always the worst ideas. Whether that be, you know, things like the, all the various shake diets, Weight Watchers or Slim and Well or all of this, that and the other. It's not about nutrients at all. It's about calories in, calories out. And this is one of the most frustrating things I hear in our industry. That ultimately, yes, if we were to look at the, you know, the surface of what we do, calories are king. However, there are so many things below that. You know, we're looking at hormones, inflammation, neurotransmitters, recovery, what the calories are made of, the protein, all of these types of things matter significantly matter but they're not given the credit for how much they matter and this is you know even massive name trainers they still go oh, calories in calories out and they're misleading loads of people because it puts this it's this simple follow me i'll shout really loudly about it but it means that for the let's say they take on ten thousand clients because they're a massive influencer they're only getting transformations out of 20 relative this fuck all they're actually doing good because they're they're simple, oversimplifying the process. Now, the process is simple, don't get me wrong, but it's as you said, eat the right foods. You shouldn't be 
just tracking your calories and eating this shit and that shit and blah, 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 blah. People need to manage their expectations. They need to think about the long game and stop falling for shit on social media. Is a well, the, 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 I'm going to bring up a guy on social media. Hopefully, I, I'm not trying to upset anyone or anything like that, but I think he's hilarious and I think his content's really, really good. But that's his main, um, his game called James Smith. Or is it James Smith? Um, I know. Yeah, so he... I think he's brilliant. I think he's funny. I think all the things he does are good. But, and he's super smart PT. You can tell because I've watched some of his real breakdowns of food. But then he always comes down to that calories in, calories out methodology. But this is what I'm going to say. Like, is that what's needed for someone that needs to go from zero to one? As in, like, if you're just a, a fat idiot who doesn't know anything, Correct. then you can just go, okay, calories in, calories out. <laughs> Correct. Clean, it's about cleaning up your habits. Now, James has obviously made a name for himself. He, he made a name for himself through controversy, not through knowledge. Mm -hmm. like, there is no denying that guy is smart because you do not have the wit that he has, first of all. You're not that wee if you're not in, highly intelligent. Um, but he made his name not off his knowledge as a PT. He made his name off of his ability to cause controversy on social media. Then he's leveraged that following to create a PT business and to become this global brand, which is great. But... One of the reasons he advocates, you know, you don't need abs. You can drink beer. You can drink this is exactly your point. Take someone from A to B. Some people need to go from A to B. If you're obese, you're unhealthy, just cleaning up some habits is going to get you to there. But there's also people who do want to go further. They want to look like Mike. They want to do this. It takes a different skill set. Now, <laughs> you know, as I say, James is a very intelligent guy, but it's, a, it's an interesting one PT-wise because I respect him for what he's done. If I were to say professionally, how much do I respect him based on his knowledge and what he's able to do? A lot less. But that's because what he does and what I do are very different things. Mm -hmm. You know, the level that I, uh, A, have been trained over, you know, two decades to do things to, and what my clients request of me are very different to what his clients, the general masses may request to him. Um, so I would say he can't be faulted for what he does, and the guy must be an absolute workhorse because the shit that he has done in a relatively short space of time has been amazing. But I think we're in different parts of the industry and that's always going to cause conflict. But yeah, I think he oversimplifies a lot of things and that removes context. When you take context out of any argument, it becomes dangerous. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's, I'm a mixed bag on him. Like I say, I respect him for what he's done. I think that's like, as a businessman, forget the health industry, forget fit, like what he's done as a, as a creative person that's, like you say, cause control. I, I don't know his story. I, I've only just recently know, heard about him, but I just find, think he's funny. But even mm. the fact that I think he's, he's funny, funny and I watch yeah. some of his stuff, is like, okay, if I think it, that, and he's got millions of people doing it, but then I understand, you know, fitness and health a little bit more. So <laughs> I, I don't, what he says, I don't actually listen to, apart from some of the deep, he's gone deep on a few things like sodium. I think he did mm. a thing on, um, what's that energy drink? Uh, Prime. Prime yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was good because he, he explained like this is bullshit basically. Yeah. Um, and so I think he, he does have a bit of knowledge, but I think as a businessman, he's created this thing. There's another guy that he does it with uh, like this big ripped black guy. I don't know his name. Uh, yeah, I know the Irish guy. Yeah, he's yeah, hilarious yeah, as well. And they do these stupid videos where you, you have like the um, thirst trap women and then mm. you know, it's brilliant. If you can't find him, you should look him up just to, just to see the jokes. But again, I think the message, the overall message that he sends, I'm not sure it's very good for humanity if exactly you want to look at it that way. You know? Exactly my point. Um, anyway, we'll move on from that. I, I just That's something I think, if you're, if you're struggling with your weight go, and you want to go from zero to one and maybe, okay, yeah, calories in, calories out matters. But if you want longevity of lifestyle mm. and, and improving your whole... There's way more to it, especially, you know, I'd imagine it's going to be mostly dudes listening to this. You have I to... Don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, Come of course, on, yeah. <laughs> heart throb over there. Um, you have to look after your hormones. 
Yeah, um, you know, obviously, I'm sure you and Sterling have loads of conversations about, you know, manhood, right? Sterling being who he is. Testosterone is fucking vital to men. And if you are just following the argument, not looking after your hormones, if you're 20 now, it's not going to matter. When you're 30, what you do now is going to matter. When you're 40, it's going to matter even more. It's a huge issue. And, you know, if you're trying to make moves in business and you're, you're feeling unmotivated, you feel depressed, you feel all these things, your neurotransmitters, the chemicals that are essentially made in your gut and sent to your brain to make you feel a certain way, I'm motivated, I'm lazy, I'm happy, I'm sad. They're all made in the gut. What you're putting in your stomach is your interface between what's outside and what your brain is going to do. So if you're going calories in, calories out, and this is what I mean, it's a very surface view of the world. All of that shit's going to be bad. So if you're sitting and eating crap, you might be lean. You might be one of these lucky fuckers who's got abs, but you're eating McDonald's, you're eating all this shit, and you like, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered to do this. I can't be bothered to do that. Just because it's not showing on the outside doesn't mean it's not doing stuff, something on the inside. And that's what people misunderstand. And we all fucking do it. We wait until it's too hard. When we can no longer, oh, fuck, I'll just go low carb for a week. And you're ready for your holiday. That shit doesn't happen when you're 30. It happens even less when you're 35, 40. Look after it now. You're going to be way better further ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think you you put that very, very well. Obviously, it's what you do. So you understand the communication, how to say it. But I understand <laughs> everything that you said. And I, I couldn't formulate it that way. So that's super, super good advice. I think... Um, you mentioned hormones, obviously. Everyone knows what testosterone is, that sort of stuff. But I don't know how much you go into this with like TRT and all that sort of stuff. But I, at some point, when I so when I finished fighting, I was like, I don't like using the word depressed, but I was I was feeling unmotivated. Mm. If you want to call it, I don't even like saying that. But I wasn't feeling myself. Let's put it that way, because I'd had always been driven by the ideology that I'm going to become become the best fighter I can possibly be. That's all I cared about. That's all I thought about. That's I woke up in the morning. I had the fire burning inside me to become the best fighter I was going to be. Very, very difficult. A lot of training, a lot of challenges, financial, whatever. Then when that was taken away from me, I, I decided to stop because I realized I'd peaked and I wasn't going to become the be one of the best in the world. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try and do something else. And, and I felt like low. And I was like, oh, maybe I've got low testosterone. So I... I I actually got my testosterone checked and it was fine. And mm. it pissed me off because I was like, no, no, I'm not performing because I got low testosterone. But it had nothing to do with my, my testosterone levels. But I think a lot of people, um, I've actually got extremely high testosterone, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was like considering going down that route. Yeah. But then a friend of mine who's in this, this industry, he said the thing that you, I'm just thinking for the young guys watching who maybe are supplementing with testosterone. So it's like once you start that shit, it can never end. You have no. to do it for the rest of your life. So if someone's considering that, and like you said, they're neurotransmitters. Did you say neurotransmitters or not? Like, <laughs> how can you tell that? How do you know? So I mean, first thing you you said blood tests there, and like that's the way to check the issue we're having very much so with men is that testosterone is legitimately dropping significantly year on year on year, generation on generation, because again, quality of foods that we're eating, the way we're living our lives, the amount of shit we're drinking, it is crumbling. However, the body is this just infinitely intelligent machine and it will do everything it possibly can to keep you alive and make you work properly. If, it's, if you're sick, it will try to fix it. If you are in a car crash, it will try to heal you. If you have cancer before you need treatment, it will try to heal you. You could be the most morbidly obese, rotten motherfucker on the planet. It will try to keep you alive. Like it's always trying to make things work the right way. Now, 
the environment may be changing that, the things we're doing may be changing that, but when you're younger, there are so many different things to do before you start going down the route. And, and it's difficult, right? Because again, I'll, I'll, I know my industry and you know the way social media is going, all of the guys that are out on social media, all these big names, they're all on juice. You know, it's a, it's a, it's relatively well known, but it means that back in the day, I remember when I first started training, I first started training when I was 16, you didn't see anyone on gear. There was maybe one big guy in a gym that was, you know, you're like, this guy's like a superhuman, he's epic. It was just not in, it was not in the public eye. Now, no one went on gear. They would train for however many years. They would reach their genetic potential and then think, fuck, okay, maybe now I'll do it. Now the issue is that young kids in the gym are saying, well, why don't I look like so-and-so? And that so-and-so may not be on gear, but he might be at the genetic elite end. He looks fucking sick because he's born to be that way. And this is very often the case with like fitness influencers especially. They're not influencers because they thought, oh, this is what I want to be. They were in school and they were that guy with fucking shoulders, arms, abs, and they thought, shit, this is really easy for me. So I'm gonna try and make something out of this because it means I'm not gonna to have to work that hard. I can go and do this, blah, 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 and it's developed. Whereas you've got maybe some skinny little kid or some fat kid who looks at them and thinks, oh, fuck, I need to be like them, but it's not happening for them. They've dieted well for four weeks. They've trained you know, every day for five weeks when they're 16, 17. They're just not there. So they'll go to the big guy in the gym and say, listen, you know, how are you like that? And that guy's just looking for money. So we'll say, meet me in the change rooms afterwards. And you've got 16, 17, 18 year old kids jabbing loads of gear that they know nothing about. And it causes this just monumental shitstorm in their future. You know, especially men, men are much more resilient. They bounce back from stuff when they're young, but your actions now are gonna echo later. And I think to anyone out there who's looking at this and wanting to get in shape, work to your absolute genetic potential before you even, you're never gonna stop people from doing this, especially dudes, it's what every dude does. Work to your absolute genetic limit. And that's not gonna happen until you're 30, 35. When you've created muscle maturity, when you've learned the fundamentals of training, when you've been consistent on your diet, when you've grown as much as the body wants to grow, people are gonna go down that route, but you definitely should not be doing this kind of shit when you're young. Um, and also, if you can get a doctor to supervise it, get them to supervise it. You know, we're talking about TRT here, not steroids and this and the other, because a lot of guys are going on it. And as I've said before, we mentioned at the beginning, everyone will find evidence to suggest whatever they want to suggest. A kid will go onto Google and they will say, oh, I need TRT because I've got some of these symptoms. You're not depressed and not putting on muscle because of this. You've slept three hours a night for the last week because you've been partying. You go out drinking four nights a week. That's why you're depressed and it's nothing to do with your testosterone, but then they'll start jabbing or they'll do this or they'll do that. You know, a lot of uh, functional medicine across the states, various states in America are, they're more forward thinking with this kind of stuff. And they now recommend if you're like approaching 40 or over 40, provide, providing everything is in line, they'll usually recommend TRT. Not a steroid cycle, but TRT because I say, you're gonna have a better quality of life for the next 30 years because of this. You've had your kids, you've done all the things you wanna do, so we're just gonna help you live better for the next 20 years. That's where things like TRT are relevant earlier on and the way the, the, the world is going because of all of the research that can be done on Instagram. You know, it'd be really interesting to see, see the statistics on you know, people Googling steroid cycles, how old they are. I'd love to see that because I bet it's alarmingly young. No, I can only, I mean, I'm been in the world and seen it. I think I'll just talk about my, from my own experience. When you mentioned about, I told you I felt low. I worked out now 
that the reason I felt low is because I stopped fighting. And when you stop fighting, you think I can eat whatever I want. I can mm. party, I can drink. And I went on a bit of a like travel, booze, bad food, whatever. And that's why I felt like shit, you know, cool. because, uh, but I didn't, uh, you don't put the two together because you just think, oh, and so I worked it out and then I cleaned up my <laughs> diet and then I, I could really, now I really feel, because I'm quite susceptible, susceptible? Susceptible. Susceptible, susceptible, I don't know. Perceptive. Oh, perceptive. Uh, perceptive, perceptive maybe, mean, I don't yeah. know, whatever the word is, to what I'm putting in my body and the effect it has on me because I've, you know, like I said, been an elite level athlete and all that sort of <clears> stuff. I really feel the difference when I'm eating properly and not booze. I, course, I can yeah. feel it. I think a lot of people don't understand how important it is. Um, I mean, I understand everything you're talking about. Hopefully it's new information for a lot of people. Um, but I wanted to, the whole reason I got you on the podcast to talk about something completely different. Yeah. We start talking about fitness <laughs> and food and nutrition. It's super easy. Um, but I want to tell your story a little bit. And obviously we started with you being like a, a fat kid and getting in the gym sorting yourself out. Then you became a PT, right? So what age mm. did you start PT? So I started PT in around like 1920. So this was after I, uh, I, I lost weight for me. And everyone has their, their catalyst for losing weight. For me, it was girls, right? I'm a straight guy. I got treated like shit by good looking women. And I was like, enough of this. All my mates are off at parties doing it, you know. Everyone's finger blasting this one or doing all that <laughs> shit, you know? And I'm like, when they've done two in a night, I'm the guy that, that all the girls were coming to. Oh, your mate, he's such an asshole. And I'm like... I got years through that. I was like, enough of this shit. Like, enough. I want to be that guy. Um, and that was my motive for losing weight. And I lost weight uh, during my late teens because of, essentially, that was a reason. And then it changed me so much, the way I thought and the way I was perceived by others. I was like, fuck, I need to do something with this. You know, I did find it quite easy as well. Like in the, I didn't find losing weight easy. I did that in a very bad way, and it's caused repercussions. We can go into that in a bit. Um, but for me, I was like, I'm good at this. And I know I can help other people do this. And I always had a thought in my brain, like I want to earn a lot of money. And at the time, PT was not what it is today. It's very easy to earn a lot of money as a good trainer these days. But I was like, I can earn 60 quid an hour doing this job and I really love it. And that was kind of where I then branched off. <laughs> I went through various jobs up until that point, working in nightclubs, did accountancy. I even designed underfloor heating for a long time. But I just hated being in an office. Hated being in an office. And there was a, certainly a part of my younger years where I thought the only way I'm going to get rich is if I'm working in an office but then I realized once I was particularly good at training people I was the one getting results in the gym that I was in I was like shit it's not about where I'm working it's about how good I am at what I'm doing and if I'm the best here I'm going to be able to charge more it's going to be easier to get clients and that kind of led me into PT <coughs> excuse me so you would you had very very jobs I've heard this story a few times from PTs that they they hate it they get on the PT, they do what they love to do because everyone loves to work out what this plan you do. Then you see the results and the people understand that you can help people. But you, you said to me, you always wanted to earn a lot of money. Yeah, man. And Pete, like, I, I've done a bit of, actually, you helped me out. When COVID hit, I was trying to find, um, I started holding pads and doing one-on-ones because mm -hmm. I couldn't travel and make money and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up being at your gym and doing doing pads. Which, so I reached out to you and said, oh, I need to, you know, mm -hmm. so you, I understand that an hourly rate, if you can charge 100 quid or 200 quid or whatever, you can make all right money. You work yeah. eight hours a day, make five, 800 quid a day. So it can become good money. But we spoke about this. Um, you, as a PT, as good as it can be, it's also, you have to work. You have to, I yeah, know it yeah. sounds like a crazy thing to say, but you, you have to trade your time to make that money. So you have to physically be there and you can't, you know, you can't grow from that position. If you, if you do eight hours a day, six days a week, and you do, it's like, 
how do you get any bigger than that, right? Yeah, yeah. So you told me that you were, you always wanted to make a lot of money as a young kid. You did a bit of sales. Then you went into PTing. What like made you realize that this had a ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely, everyone gets there as they get older and time starts to run out. You know, time is this commodity that people value the least when it is the only thing we run out of. And that's really, really important. I think when you realize that, that the thing you're looking for is not money, it's time. And whatever skill set you hold, if you can find a way to remove the glass ceiling, like if I'm working hour by hour, yeah, I can charge 200 quid now, whatever it is, but I can still only work, let's say I'm working 14 hours a day, right? I still have a limit somewhere. Whereas if I can say, right, what skill sets are allowing me to earn that? I need to scale this. I need to send this off so I'm not limited geographically. I'm not limited uh, mentally. I'm not limited physically. For me, it was that. It was saying, there's only so much of me to go around. And I got to the point, you know, I, I gym floor PT'd for like 14 years, something like that, before I said, wow. all right, enough of this. I need to use my skills to do something else because I'd stopped enjoying it. And this was the big thing for me. It was like, I'd focused on money, so I was giving all of my time for money. And then I realized, hang on, that's not the valuable bit. The money is not the valuable bit. The time is the valuable bit. How do I take what I'm doing now and create something where I've got way more time, but I can make equal or more money? And the smart thing was to say, right, well, how many people can I train in a day? On busy days, maybe I was doing 12 people, right? I'm limited to X amount per day. There's no way I can get past that. What can I create that I've learned from all of these people where I can get to 12,000 people a day? Maybe I'm gonna have to charge them less money. Maybe I can charge them the same money, but suddenly the ceiling has been removed. And the path is not, right, we're, we're going to keep going until we hit that ceiling. It's, I can just keep going now. There's nowhere I need to stop. I'll stop wherever my intelligence says, uh, I don't know how to move into this different market or this different market. But the great thing about the more you develop your skill set is that never really comes. That point where you say, shit, I can't really go anywhere, never comes because... For every problem that you've got to solve on the way, you find a new way of achieving something else. As you go up, even through the classes of people, like we've spoken to this, as you get more money, you mix with different people. Different people have different ideas. Different people give you different opportunities. It kind of snowballs. So if you can just break past the thought process of saying, I need to stop wasting my time by trading my time, when that happens, I think you just the world's open to you again now, and especially now. There's never been a time ever in history that it's easier to do this. People are, I haven't got time, I can't do this, I can't do that. Everybody has the opportunity to get stupidly rich now or have as much time as they want. No one is restricted by this. If you have an internet connection and a phone, you've got it. Yeah, I think that epiphany for me, coming from the fighting world, this is recent, about three years ago, I probably had that. That fighting world, I was only paid on performance. I was paid when I fought. I fought every three months. I did okay. Made tens of thousands every time I did it. So for me, if I did three, four times a year, I was living, you know, making six figures, life was okay. And I, I was so focused on becoming better at that thing to, you know, I think most ever got to, I think I was ranked 20th in the world or 21st in the world was the highest ever got to. I wanted to be number one, but I made it to about there. And I was so focused on trying to beat that number and get better and beat better people. And, and it wasn't really even about money for me. But then when I come away from that, I was like, looking at jobs, looking at all these sort of things that I could do. And the whole ideology of trading time for money, it, it, it's like, it's so difficult, I think, for a lot of people who work nine to five jobs. Like my brother's extremely successful and he, he like works for a huge company in London, but he still has to trade his time for money, right? So mm -hmm. the, the moment where you even start to move off on this path, 
it's like you develop, you said you were 14 years a PT on, on, on the floor, you know, so obviously the first couple of years, you probably weren't maxing out your hours completely. It probably took you a little bit of time to build up to be completely maxed out. Then you were maxed out, then you up your price. Then you move to a new place and you have higher level people. So you're charging more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then you maybe over four or five years, you're then hitting like a peak and then you mm -hmm. stayed at that peak for a while. It's like, if you're at that peak, so some people now are sitting in a job, nine to five, they, they don't have any time but they're trading their time for money, but they're earning okay money, so they're kind of like comfortable, but they'll never even explore the idea of doing something where they don't trade their time. Yeah. And you just have to start walking down that route. And if you do it for five, six, seven, 14 years, you're gonna do all right. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's my ideology on it. Like I think I'm, I'm <laughs> new with it, but if I can somehow leverage my knowledge mm -hmm. to make money where I'm not physically doing the thing, then it's, as you said, a limitless. Yeah, yeah. The doors are open, they're never gonna close again. Yes. Yeah. All of that being said, what I will say, I've had a lot of people work for me in the past and there are very much, there is a, a, a hierarchy within society, within most societies, bee colonies, ant colonies. Some people are supposed to work for people. Like I don't, I think one of the difficulties, especially with how things are going across social media, is everyone is being encouraged to quit their job and go and do this and go and do that. You know, be an entrepreneur. Being a, it's fucking hard work. It is hard work because you have to carry every bit of stress, not only for yourself, but for anyone who works for you. There's going to be days where you've got no money. There's going to be times when maybe you're, you don't have a house. You're, everything will fall apart at some point, and that is a given. It doesn't matter if you strike lucky. Let's say you create a Shopify. There's so many of these types out now that have created a Shopify and they've made loads and loads of money. The problem is with money when it's easy to make and you've had a bit of luck, it's fucking hard to keep. And that's a big thing. Some people are designed to work for other people because they don't have the, the stress tolerance or the resilience to work for themselves yet. And this is where I think timing comes in because a lot of people are gonna benefit hugely from working for someone and learning the systems, the security, how does this shit work before they just jump in at the deep end? Because very many people are gonna, you're gonna fail, of course you're gonna fail. If you have not timed it right in that you haven't at least got a baseline of knowledge in whatever you're gonna do, you know, I've mentioned use your skill set. You have to have that skill set first. And I think it's easy for young, especially guys, to think, well, okay, I'm seeing all these people do this thing. My industry's a bitch for it because people don't even get qualified, but they've got an Instagram channel. And they're like, oh, fuck it, I'll just make some money from this then. And they do it for a year and then they crumble, but they've, because they're an idiot, they've bought a fucking whatever, a Lambo or a Porsche on finance, all of these types of things. And then when it all comes crumbling down because they hadn't laid the foundation, they have to give the Porsche back. They've got debt, they've got bad credit, all of these things. So I think for anyone listening, it's about timing. Like I do believe everyone has the ability to open that door and just explore every possibility out there and make a lot of money or create a lot of time for themselves. But a lot of it is timing. I would say make sure that it's a, uh, uh, an intelligent risk when they do it. And I think a lot of people don't do that. That's one thing that I, I see a lot in the industry. I think before you said about uh, opening the door, because I don't want people to open the door to this, but I think it, it came back to the same thing when we were talking about like TRT abuse and so, like you have to build up, build up the competency first. Exactly. So when, you, when you're trying to make the leap, <laughs> take that leap to, I mean, it's basically online we're talking about now, like an online business or a, a scalable business doesn't have to be online, can be brick and mortar. When you're trying to make that leap and leave your steady job or whatever mm -hmm. you have to have the competence behind you exactly. that it's going to work and when you're a young guy and you're going to the gym you need to build the competence and understand that your body understand nutrition understand exercise which take years and years and years and years and then maybe okay i want an extra five percent i'll 
I'll take some TRT or <coughs> whatever you want to take. Yeah. I'm not saying you should do that, but that's how it should go. Yeah, and what we're seeing now because of, I think people are so focused on the result. They're not focused on the work, obviously. So they see all the results on, mm. on socials and they think, I want that result. And they, they're, they're back to front. They start with the result yeah, before yeah. they get to the thing. So I could be an online PT. Mm -hmm. I know a bit. You know what I mean? I've got a following. And they just, they, they jump, they dive in before they have the competency. Of course. And it's, this is, you know, you see it with lottery winners, but it is happening with a young generation of new money is they're making money really quickly and easily because whether it's, uh, you know, luck or otherwise, whatever comes easily goes just as easily. And the struggle to earn money, the struggle to build a business, the lessons that you learn in that struggle are the exact reason you will maintain your success. Or if for whatever reason, something changes, something shifts, you encounter a problem. If you've just copied this model or run down there, when shit hits the fan, you've got no idea how to fix it. And you know, wisdom comes with experience, not age. You can be really, really, you know, you can, you can be 50 years old and be dumb as fuck. But you can also be 21 having had a hard life and be hyper wise. And I think this is something, experience is one of the most valuable things. Again, time, you know, no one wants to waste time. It does run out, absolutely. But it should be used really fucking well from a really young age. You know, if you're 12, 13, 14 and you're listening to this, you know, I know you've got so many followers who are going to look up to you. Use your time now like really, really well. Don't get sucked into all the shit that we did probably. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's, uh, again, talking about the result and the en end result, people think about the money. They think about the Lambo, especially young kids. Oh, I want to be rich. I want to mm. have a Lambo. I want to have this or whatever. And you put it great, like, especially with crypto and stuff like this. Now, some, some people hit a meme coin and they made 10 million and they, they made it, whatever, but they have no character or resilience. I know plenty of people with loads of money that are losers that I don't even want to speak to. Mm -hmm. Not interested in those people because they haven't had the struggle to build and to become better men, if you want to call it that. But I think because we're now back to front in society where everyone sees the results first and they chase the money, mm -hmm. people forget about the experience side of things. I've, I've said this before on a podcast. I'm looking over there because Rodecast will know what I'm on about, but I don't, I can't explain. Someone put it super well. And it was like, I look at life like two journeys. One journey is like experience and, and like the internal journey is what mm. I call it. Like becoming a better man, becoming more confident, becoming more cap <laughs> capable, becoming more competent in your field, feeling more self-aware, knowing yourself better, all these things, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, that people just completely ignore because there's no results, there's no Instagram, there's no money, there's no women, there's no, there's none of the stuff that, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the external. So everyone focuses on the external journey and for the external journey, it can come super quick mm -hmm. if you, you know, make the right moves or whatever. Come super quick. You make the money. You buy the car. You do the thing. But you're still that hollow guy on the inside. Absolutely, yeah. And then when a recession comes, which is going to come, and when everyone gets screwed, this disappears, and you'll come back to the ground. You know what exactly. I mean? So for me, if you're a young kid, you need to focus on that internal journey, Every becoming time. better. Every and time. I talk about it by, again. I always try and come back to my experience because these are this whole podcast and everything I say is just my opinion. It doesn't, it's not fact. Nothing's a fact. I think everyone is working on themselves. Everyone, no one's a finished product. Everyone, look, you can look up to people as much as you want. Everyone's still working internally, trying to become better. But <laughs> I learned the internal journey because of fighting. So I would challenge myself every single day to become a better fighter. I had nothing else, just cared about fighting. And that built my character in such a way, 
I had a, you know, I said I was religious growing up. Mm, like my mum, yeah. I had to stand up in church and read the Bible and study and all these things that I hated and still would hate doing that now. But I, I learned a lot of skills that yeah. now we even said I'm naturally quite a good speaker. It's because when I was eight, I was up reading Bible verses, yeah. you know, and then it's just these, these things that you hate doing that are hard. They're always the things that you're so happy you did in 10 years. For sure. They're the catalyst for change. Like desperation, pain, and hardship is the catalyst for change. And that works on every level. You know, a universal level, it works on a personal level, a physical level. The reason you go into a gym and break your muscle and hurt yourself is because it grows back stronger. Your brain, the mechanisms are identical. The harder you suffer generally, the more it's gonna change you for the positive, you know? And again, you value the problems that you're gonna encounter. And that's an enormously positive thing. We spoke earlier about being alone. The ability to value the shit that you think at the time was breaking you and making you worse, I guarantee further down the line, I can't believe we've become the dudes that say, if I know then what I know now, like oh, we're fucking old now. But there's never been a truer word. So if you are young, fucking just welcome the problems and get to them as fast as possible is also what I would say. Is we've got to say all of the success is going to come with experience more than anything else. And I think you're a lot of people are adverse to risk. And even as testosterone is dropping, one of the biggest correlations they found between testosterone uh, and what it actually does for the men is that we take bigger risks. This is why we're dumb as fuck when we're younger. We're climbing trees and we're, you know, lying under the breeze block bike ramp, doing all this kind of shit. We're stupid because of testosterone. But that, uh, that willingness to take risk is also why generally, not always, but generally, men are prepared to take risks that make them more successful. If you're a young kid, the chances are you've got your parents to back you up. You've still got a house, you've got, you've got this. Take the risks on welcoming the problems, get any experiences because they're reversible risks. And it's not like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You fuck that up, you fuck that up. You're not coming back from it. A reversible risk, okay, this little thing didn't work, no problem, try again. You know, it's, like, it's like a game of Mario, right? Every time you go through Mario, you hit a particular obstacle. You die at that obstacle. You know how to get around it the next time, but you're going to hit another one. And I think if I'd have known that when I was a lot younger, oh, everything would have changed because I'd have had way less self-doubt. And so many decisions that I talked myself out of or I allowed somebody else to talk me out of when I was younger all made somebody else huge amounts of money. And I, you know, I don't regret anything, but I reflect on it very often that I should have just been like, fuck it, you know. I was 24 then. I should have just kept pushing for this because nothing bad would have happened on the other side. I think they say, uh, again, I always try and I always quote studies and think, but, but I don't really know them. I just say them as if I do know you them. You heard them somewhere. I'm the same. Uh, I read them somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's you're at 25 years old, your brain's completely formed, and you actually, <laughs> as a man, you understand consequences. Mm -hmm. So I know this from fighting because people would say like before you're 25, you, you would have a cage fight and not think about the, con the long-term mm. consequences to your brain. But once you hit 25, you start thinking, oh, okay, wait a second, if I'm getting there, and you start thinking about long-term consequence. So you were saying about how testosterone makes us take risks and we don't think about long-term consequences. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect storm, right? Perfect storm yeah. to, to send a lot of people into battle and try and kill each other and, and rape and pillage, which is what we used to do mm -hmm. biologically. So um, yeah, for men, I... Everything you said, again, you put things so well. Um, I think the harder something is, the more you grow from it and the better you become. Absolutely. And now we live in a society where they are, everyone is trying to avoid risk and run away from mm. risk and become comfortable and not deal with stress. That's what I was going to do. So, like, I want the most stress, the most problems, the most hardship, the most restless nights. I yeah, want yeah. all of that. And I, But... Again, I wish I had that when I was 20. When I was 20, my life was sweet. 
I had focus, which was I was fighting. All I cared about was fighting, woke up, no stress, no problems, no whatever. But I was putting myself through a lot of physical stress because of fighting and and becoming a better fighter. But if I'd have done, if I'd have taken the financial road rather than the fighting road, like as in I'd started a business Mm. and I'd taken on the same amount of risk, (laughs) the same amount of stress. I mean, I'd be a billionaire, but that's a different discussion. And it's like, if you're a young kid, anything you are afraid of, anything, Go doesn't matter, it. do it. Run. Like, yeah, 100%. run at it, not away from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's how character's built, that's how, and, because and, I, again, I quit my job, uh, I was working in marketing in London at like 18, 19, and moved to my gym and slept on the floor. I say that probably every podcast, mm. because that is the thing that formulated me into the man that I am today, the worst part of my life. Imagine being 18, 19, I think it was 19, 20, meeting a girl, yeah, getting yeah. on, being around, be like, um, you wanna go back on the Smith machine? <laughs> <laughs> you wanna go lay on the floor and sleep with a sleeping bag in a gym? That, no, they don't. Yeah. So yeah, the sacrifices have to be there, obviously. But, and, and I think what I was gonna say is dealing with stress and becoming a confident individual, they're, they're kind of like in, intertwined. But for you, you know, you said you, you started as, being bullied and a bit out of weight, overweight, out of shape. Um, so how did you cultivate this kind of no, no fear approach and everything that you've, you've built up? I wouldn't say it's no fear at all. Of course, there's doubt. Like doubt is always in my mind for sure. But I think fear in itself is the uncertainty of the outcome, right? I think that's the easiest way to look at fear. Now, how can you reduce the amount of fear you have over something? Is you know, you jump in the water with a shark. If someone tells you you can swim up to that shark, 100% certainty, it's impossible it can go wrong, swim up to it, mess about with it, it's not going to eat you, you'll be sweet, you get out. If you knew genuinely that nothing was going to happen, you'd be like, sweet, I go in. But you don't know that. Fear is uncertainty of the outcome. Whereas when it comes to business or whether it comes to a decision, quitting your job, all of these types of things, if you can control the variables and make the probability of an outcome become this, okay, so... 90% certain, if I put all of these places, or all of these things in place, the probability of that outcome being positive, I'm not scared of this anymore. It's gone from 100% scary to 10% scary. You're prepared to do it, and the way to do that is control the variables. So <coughs> for me, certainly as I was younger, I was more reckless. I was, I, I was impulsive. Reckless is not the right word, impulsive. I want to do this, so fuck it, I'm going to do it. And I suffered multiple times for it. You know, I lost money, you know, I've, I've, created relationships with people I shouldn't have created relationships with in, as in, in business and I got stitched up, you know, stabbed in the back, whatever. But as I got older, I'm like, right, when I make a move now, I'm less scared because I say, right, from the last 10 times I did this, each time I took something from it and I'm controlling the variables now. So when I'm making a decision, I can look at it more impartially, more logically and say, right, well, I've controlled everything I can control. What is the probability of success now? Okay, it's here. This is cool. This is fine. Whereas if it's something that I really can't control and it's complete fluke, chances are I'd still do it. But maybe I'm going into it with way more fear and less confidence, which is not necessarily a good thing. Fear is kind of a double-edged sword because it's an amazing driver. Like if you're scared of something, you're going to do everything you possibly can to make sure whatever that shit is, it doesn't overcome you. Um, But it can also make you emotional and illogical, which means you're not thinking clearly about the process, the outcome, whatever it may be. So I think... The way to control that, you're always gonna be scared. But number one, you have to embrace it. Number two, you have to control the variables. You know, when you got into the ring, how what'd you say, 40 professional yeah, fights? Oh, yeah, yeah. Surely every single time you got in there, despite all 
all of the ridiculous hours and blood and sweat and tears of controlling the variables to make sure you win, every time you got into that ring, you must have still thought, okay, am I scared? How did, like, from your point of view, how did you control it? Because, again, you're the extreme level of fear. You're one-on-one -on -one with another dude trying to kill each other. There isn't, there's no business decision. There's no, you know, oh, I'm going to quit my job and go and try and do this. It's all reversible. If you guys fuck up, you die. Yeah. So it's, it's exactly, so that, that's why I have a very good touch on this. But for me, it was understanding the variables. Yeah, I've never heard of it to put that way, but that was kind of a look back at myself now. The first year I got into fighting, the first, or the second year, the second year I was got into fighting, when I moved into the, the gym, I went to 53 fighting events in a year. So that was well, every weekend or, or yeah, yeah. So I was always at one or two. I was either <clears throat> cornering, fighting, watching, you know, or like judging or where, because I used to do all the jobs as well as much as I could. So I saw 52, 53 events in a year. And, I, and at each event, I'm talking back in the day, they would have between 10 fights and some events, my mate Jack would run, would have 35 fights because you Jeez. get people in through what, the door. Sorry, in one event? In one event. Fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> because you've got to get bums on seats. Yeah, the way yeah. to get bums on seats is to have more fights. So you'd have like, you could, I, I, so I would see, let's say average, I'd see 20 fights per show, 20 fights per show, 53 events. I'd see a lot of fights, mm. right? And the more fights that you see and the more people you see after the fights and you see, ah, oh, actually, he's all right. You know what I mean? Like, okay, he got head kicked and knocked out, but but he's all right. Oh, he got his arm, arm, but but he's all right. Like you would you would start to feel way more comfortable with the fact that yeah, you're gonna get hurt, but it's okay. And then yeah, obviously yeah. with all the training and getting hit and the, the what I think with the combat, especially the mental fear of damage, like getting hit in the head, is so much more paralyzing than actually getting hit in the head. Like men yeah, don't yeah. understand how powerful we are. Like you generally don't know physically how much you can endure how much damage also, you can inflict animal, on someone uh, yeah, yeah, yeah you don't understand it yeah. so when you don't understand it that's when you're so fearful of it because you again you don't have the knowledge yeah. like exactly what you just said i have deep 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 understanding of fighting knowledge like damage mm. i can create people can create on me all that sort of stuff i actually think it's extremely difficult to knock out another human being mm. because I've tried many, 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 many times. But the guys I'm trying on are professional athletes. I'm going to say it's people fight. who've learned how to not get knocked out. Yeah. You so, fucking took a swing at me, I'd be through that wall in a second. <laughs> it's, it's different, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but that, so for me, the thing that I would always go back on, my mentality towards fear, but when I'm in the changing rooms just before the fight, is I would have done everything you could possibly imagine to make sure that I'm going to perform mm. to the best of my capabilities. And I was never... <laughs> fearful of the outcome i was always fearful of my performance yeah. so i had like a bit of performance anxiety because i was like if i focus on i believe that if i perform to the best of my ability 100 percent, i could be any man on the planet that was like my always my mentality going into fighting and i always used to say that i am this guy my opponent doesn't matter because i'm not thinking about this guy i'm thinking about the next guy that i'm going to fight mm. i want the next guy i'm going to fight to watch this fight and shit, shit himself yeah, because yeah. of the damage that i inflict on this person <clears throat> yeah. so i would like kind of bring myself out out of the situation um so i was never really fear of the the, the danger of getting hurt kind of just disappears with the with experience and like i said 52 53 events all the fights i saw all the damage i used to run events later on and i'd see like You'd be amazed. Like, there's not as many injuries as you'd think yeah, in yeah. fighting. Um, the hard thing is the weight kind. Yeah. So once I got the weight kind done, I was like, sweet. Now it's just. And now it's the fun bit. It's the fun <laughs> bit, right? Um, so yeah, I think dealing with fear, it, it's what I I did a little talk about this. I think fear and stress, like 
most of it is made up. Mm-hmm. Most of it is, is perception. So it's lack of understanding. And in your own brain, you are thinking about the future, thinking about the past experiences, and you're not in the present moment. Yeah, so if absolutely. you're scared of the future, it's like, the future's not even happened yet. Why are you even worrying yeah. about that shit? Try, try and focus on today and focus on now. So that's how I kind of look at it. When you said it right at the beginning of that, you're saying the thought of getting hit in the face was way worse than getting hit in the face. Like that is everybody in life. Everybody in life is the story we tell ourselves about what's coming is so much worse than what actually happens. A hundred percent of the time, 100% of the time, that's the way it is. And I think when you can get through that again, it's a difficult one because the realization of that only comes with experience. It only comes with the hit in the face. All right, so time is going to be the, the, the big factor in that. But I think if you can learn how to accept A, that, B, then control the variables based on that fear, in your case, training, learning how to move, learning how to not be where the fist is coming, you can carry that over to so many things in life. And uh, as I say, the sooner you can welcome that, ki- that kind of pain, the sooner, the sooner you can get hit in the face, the faster you learn those lessons, which are really valuable. Yeah, I think that the, anything you're, you talk about breaking up with your girlfriend, mm. right, let's use that rather than fighting. So, like, I don't want to do it because maybe she'll do, 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 all the, and again, you create this story in your mind that it's going to be way worse than it is. <laughs> or let's change it to a positive thing rather than breaking up, but asking out a girl, mm-hmm. oh, she's going to say this and this, I want to be embarrassed because then you just do the thing and they go, no, I'm good. And you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't well, so bad. Uh, like, it's not. Speak to a mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, like, the, the story that we tell, and I think this, we talk about this a lot. Um, but it's like the internal story that you tell yourself about yourself. Once you can cleanse that and you can really have positive internal dialogue and talk to yourself mm-hmm. in a certain way, that then just projects out to the world. Absolutely. Because most people don't have positive internal dialogue. The reason they don't have positive internal dialogue is because they have external things that influence it and they don't spend time alone like we said at the very beginning of the podcast they never sit there and analyze their life and think about themselves their position in the world where they are what they're trying to achieve who they want to become and they just react to the the things that they see or the things that people say about them or the things that happen in their lives and by reacting they're they're, they're never truly themselves of course so for me the thing that i do that i think is the most powerful thing that i've started doing i've been doing it for a long long time but it's every morning when I wake up, I try and spend 10 to 20 minutes away from the world, no phone, no whatever. I actually just lay in bed because my, my wife thinks I'm being lazy and not getting up, but I'm, I'm doing something. Um, and I, I sit there for 10, 20 minutes and I just visualize my day. I visualize what's gonna happen. I, I, I call it like making a connection with God or with the universe or with whatever, <laughs> with myself so that I understand who I am, what I'm gonna do and where I'm gonna be. And I think I got that from Again, telling the story to yourself, when I had a big fight and I lost, I would be like, because oh, you'd have to sell tickets, you have to mm. sell sell the whole dream, this fight's gonna be amazing, I'm gonna do this, you have to sell it all. You get there tonight, you do all the preparation, you put three months of your life into it, you get there, it's fight night, everyone's there to watch you, you go out there and you get beat, which has happened to me multiple times. You then afterwards, you think, the people that actually care about me and are, and are in my life, to be yeah. in my life, they're around. Right, and and my my the way I look to them never gets affected by losing, yeah, right? Of course. So then you understand that okay, if I'm happy with myself, and I'm happy with my relationships that I have, then it, the result doesn't actually matter. Yeah, everything else is by the by, it, it's it's irrelevant. But I think this is where so many people are so wrong because, you know, the result and the crowd and this that and the other, you're like fuck it. The people that I care about still care about me. This hasn't changed anything. This is where younger generations and generally society now is so fucked up because social media has made us care more about the crowd 
than the people that you love in your case, you know, when you were fighting. We're now like, I need gratification from them, not you. Whether it's the relationship, the missus, the, the brothers, the sisters, the best mates, we've, we've kind of lost that these are the people that matter. These are the people that are going to make it okay. Now we say, yeah, no, I know you think it's okay, but these thousand people that I've never met in my life and I never will meet don't think it's okay. So that's a problem to me. Yeah, I think that's where the disconnect we said, like more people are more lonely because they abandon their actual community, <laughs> their, their circle for this bigger circle that actually they're never going to meet. They're never going to fuck about them. There's nothing. Yeah. To them. And there's a guy that said this, don't know his name, don't know about it, but he said like, if you, when you die, the people that come to your funeral, your wife, your brother, your mother, maybe your mother's the only one that you could take out the equation. Like they're going to go, they're going to cry. They're going to give thanks. They're going to give a speech about how amazing you were. I mean, I think I'm going to have a long line of people giving speeches course, about yeah, how amazing obviously. Yeah. This guy was a fucking legend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then they're going to get in the car. They're going to get a phone call. Oh, you mortgages due. This is yeah. going to happen. And they forget about you like that. Yeah. And life goes on. And it's like, you, because of the social media and the world that we live in now, you are basing your life and your decisions on the, the thousand people or 10,000 people or 100,000 people mm -hmm. that are, are following you that you're never going to meet. And even your internal community and your internal circle that you speak to every day and you consider your closest best friends, when you're gone, they don't yeah. give a fuck. They literally don't. It's not their fault. Yeah. It's just human nature. It's human nature is so the thing, yeah. If you're, we move on. You're not doing things with your life because this person would judge me or because they would feel bad about it. Or it, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most uh, regretful things on deathbeds. If you speak to people that are about to die, they say, I wish, I, I wish I'd been true to myself rather yeah, every than to time. Dave. Fuck Dave. Fucking yeah. Dave, honestly. <laughs> exactly. So I think um, that's great advice. And I think people, if they just took the leap, they actually, if you reframe in your life, in your mind that taking the leap and taking on the challenge, good or bad, you're always going to learn or whatever. It's going to be positive. Cal on, calculate on where you can and just fucking go for it. Like, and go for it as quick as possible. Don't doubt yourself. Don't second guess yourself because the sooner the problems occur, the sooner you're going to get past them. You know, we're talking about social, uh, sorry, the social circle. The five people you spend the most time around, they are important, right? And this must be on every single fucking podcast that's mm -hmm. ever been out there. But it is so, so true. If there's one thing that every single person should do frequently in their life is an audit of people around them, close people. Who is influencing me? Now, don't get me wrong. I've got loads of friends. I love them dearly. But there's a difference between friends and the people if I'm, I'm like one-to-one. -one. Listen, let's go and have a, t a chat somewhere. Let's spend a day because the conversations are vastly different. There are people who I have within my circle and there are people who influence me. And the people who influence you are the ones that you need to select so, so carefully. And sometimes that's going to mean certain family members you're going to have to spend less time around. Usually, you know, blood is not a, you know, it's not a, a infinitely binding thing that must keep you around that person constantly. You know, as long as you explain it to your family in certain ways, look, this is the moves I'm making. But your social circle is really, really important. I think that's a, a big reason why so many people do look to the masses and all of these anonymous people who would, you know, get their call after the funeral and be like, oh, fuck this guy. They look to them because they have no value in their social circle. There's no one within their circle that they've said, fuck, okay, we need to do something together. We need to work together. We, we have the right conversations. And I think if you're, um, if you're young with a male or female, you need to put yourself in those circles. Find any way to do it. I remember when I was younger, when I was living in Brighton, <laughs> again, didn't have much money, but I knew the kind of clients I wanted to be around. I was like, I need, if I'm being paid 60 quid an hour now, I need to figure out who's going to pay me 200 quid an hour. 
And I used to go up, I'm, well, I'm 21 at the time, 22. And I would go up to the Ivy in London alone. On my own, I'd put a fucking, this little charity shop uh, suit on. But I would go up to the Ivy in London and I would try and have a drink on the days when maybe they'd let me in, maybe they wouldn't, and have some food, which I could not afford. But I'd be there on my own and strike up conversations with people like, you know, what are you doing now? Oh, you know, this is what I do. But, ah, oh, 99 times out of 100, someone with a bit of spare money says, oh, do you know what? I need a personal trainer. And it started to happen. I started to get connections with different types of people and various places that I went. I was like, if I can just surround myself with these types of people, I'm going to start to think differently. And I remember very clearly one of my friends, <clears throat> Sam, he came out here to work with me for a little while. And it was a, there was a barbershop over here. When it first opened, it was like 220 quid a month, which was, you know, at the time <laughs> for their membership, it was probably, what, 20% of my salary, 15% of my salary. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said... The people that are going to be in here paying this money are the people I'm going to be able to take to the gym and make a lot more money. He's like, yeah, you're an idiot. Sure enough, within a week, 15 extra clients in the gym. I was like, okay, it works. These things work if you put yourself in the right social situations. And I think, you know, when you've figured out how to be yourself and you've spent some time alone, you understand who you are, you're going to be far, far better at dealing with a level of people that maybe at the moment are out of your reach. And I think that's super important to be successful long-term. I think being grounded, you said like, if you're in... <laughs> So if you put yourself in those social situations, but you, you kind of like are drawn to them and impressed by them and you want to, mm -hmm. like, you, you come off needy. You know, like <laughs> you, if you don't, if you're not grounded and know yourself, it's like always, when you're hanging around with celebrities or these people, it's like the guy that comes and goes, oh, can I get a picture? Yeah, it's yeah. like, you are never going to be friends with that guy. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Sorry, yeah, bro. We are, so you might look up to him the most, but just start, keep yourself grounded and keep yourself, and, know, and knowing yourself, I think this is like my superpower, if you want to call it that. I could be with anyone in the world, Maybe The Rock is the only one that I might be a bit of a fanboy for. But it's like anyone in the world, and I've been with these people, and I'm just like, yeah. cool, nice to meet you. How you doing? Because yeah. like, I, I, I know my value as a person. They're still humans, man. They're still just humans. They're just at a different stage to you or they've gone down a different path. You mentioned um, Richard Branson earlier, and I'm certain it was in one of his books where he said, wherever you go, act like you've been there 10 times before. Like, don't go into first class and start taking photos of you in first class. Just fucking sit down, have your drink, get on with your work. And enjoy Do the it. experience. And Precisely. That, 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 and then you, you internalize that. And then, because there's this whole um, ideology about if you want something, then you need to feel it and you need to do it. So if you want to buy a new mm. car or you want to, then you should go on a test drive. And you should, but if you go on that test drive or if you fly first class, I mean, first class is a waste of money. Just fly business. Trust business, me. yeah. I agree so with that one fly, completely. Fly, fly in business and you want to feel it and you, and you, you, you haven't got the money, but you spend the money because you want to feel what it's like and you go on that business flight. Don't take pictures. Don't act like, like just... Act like you've been there before. Yeah. And, you know, you'll, you'll, that will open up the, the channels of conversation to the guy next to you. Yeah. Was, you can learn it, from. It, exactly, exactly. And, and that's what you're doing it for. And that's what you're there. And I think my, I'm, I'm big on affirmations and positive talk. And one of my affirmations is I own every room that I walk into. Mm. So like, it doesn't matter where I am, who I'm with, what I'm doing, I'm the guy. Don't care about anyone else. Do you find that a little bit easier because every room you walk into, everyone else is a midget? <laughs> oh. But a lot of people think that. Like, but, but I think the, the crazy thing is through my eyes, I forget that I've ever had a fight and that I'm six foot six. Yeah, I literally yeah. forget. Like, I don't, it doesn't even register in my mind. And everyone yeah. says that to me. And I'm like, because I had this thing for a long time where people used to think I was scary, right? What's the thing like? Because if you walk into a room and you need a chair, most blokes are probably going to be like, <laughs> 
Oh, fucking hell, if he asked for my share. <laughs> but but, but I would, I, as I'm saying, the, the people think I'm a scary guy and I'm the, the nicest. You're not at all, yeah but, yeah. but I look, I'm a bit like resting bitch face. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I've got like resting bitch face because I'm in my own little world. And if someone said hello to me, I'm super nice, friendly, polite. Yeah. But I look and I come across because I'm like, I come across like a dick. And I, I kind of get conditioned that. into you, right, as a fighter. You can't walk into a ring looking like a, a soft, you know, a softie. You can't do it. You know, your approach to any room, any any place where there are other people is always going to likely be the same. It's habitual now. Yeah, yeah it, is, it becomes habitual. When you're, so, so I'm saying, I think with the affirmations and doing the business class thing or getting the car, like then it becomes habitual. It becomes like a thing that you are that guy. And they say, like, it's the fake it till you make it mentality. I don't believe 100% in fake it till you make it, but I believe the ideology is there. If you, you put yourself in those positions enough mm -hmm. and you take the risk of spending the money and you spend the money on this thing that you really can't afford, but as long as you're doing it with intention yeah, to grow yeah. and you're not trying to just flex and do some bullshit and trying to like, as long as you're trying to grow from the experience, you will take away so much from it. So I think, I, I mean, what hairdresser is 220 here in my bed? Uh, yes, it, was just, it used to be called the Barber Club down the road. And it was, uh, you know, I think when they first started, you get a membership, it give you X amount of perks for 250 quid a month or whatever. And the, initially when it launched, like it had anyone who was relatively important in Marbella here. So I was like, Fuck it, yeah, because I need these people in the gym as clients, and you know, so it paid off. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, let's let's. Uh, I think we've been going forever. So, broke us. How long are we going? Okay, so anyone who's got to this stage, well, well done. done. Well done. Nice. But we've been we've been banging on, so it's been good. Um, let's round it back off and come back down to your business now and what you do, because like there's a lot. I think there'll be a lot of PTs watching, fitness guys watching that are going in, like or brick and mortar guys that are trading time for money. How did you transfer for? Because just to, I mean, I know the the bare bolts, nuts and bolts. Went from being a personal trainer, then you start working underneath someone in a gym. You ended up taking over that gym, and now you run that gym. But then you've transitioned from not just running a gym and being a business owner, but then taking that online, right, or, or something yeah. along those lines. So you'll explain it a lot more eloquently. I mean, I think a lot of it, like like many many things, is you can't connect the dots going forwards, but it is a natural progression. Things just start to fall in place when you've one to one PT'd for you know, 14 odd years, you've created a whole bunch of programs that do exactly what they're supposed to do. It's a waste having those programs sitting in a computer. You know, if you've, it's the same as developing experience, life experience. If you're a mindset coach or whatever it happens to be, you've developed a load of skills and a load of resources more than anything that are wasted if they're not being shared. And I think that's really, really important. So for me, I was looking at, you know, and I vividly remember when I set the first version up, I was, uh, <clears throat> I actually went back to the UK. It was at Christmas time. I love Christmas. That's why it broke my heart when you said you didn't really celebrate Christmas. I'm a proper <laughs> Christmas fiend. But I was sitting in a house back in the UK for three weeks, pissing it down with rain. Obviously, Christmas in the UK, but I was alone for the whole three weeks. And I'm just like, right, I'm, I need to move somewhere. I was frustrated. I was unhappy. I was pissed off. I'm like, what can I do with this? Right, and this was, online training was not a big thing back then. We're going back. When, when did I set that initial one up? 2015, maybe? Um, and I was like, right, sitting on my computer thinking, right, what can I do better to earn more, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going through all of these files and every program I ever wrote is sitting in this folder and I'm thinking, no, oh, maybe I can sell the programs. How do I do that? Like, do I put them into a book? Do I do this? Or does... And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Why don't I just find a way of selling each program individually to as many people as I possibly can? Like, I know these ones worked. I know these ones didn't work. So then I sat down and I was like, right, 
if I'm not able to one-to-one coach someone, what are the problems I'm gonna come up against? Why are they not gonna get results? Because it wasn't a case of, right, just make a load of money. I still wanna deliver because my name and my reputation was more important to me than just saying, right, throw out loads of programs, get it done. So I looked at, right, I know these are the 50 programs that I wrote or the 50 clients that I got the best result out of really quickly. Everything just seemed to work. These were the programs that for whatever reason I had loads of problems with. And I sat there three years going through them. Uh, maybe this was it, bam, 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 bam. And then combined them into a bunch of programs that was like, right, if I were to give these programs to a 55-year-old mother of, of four or an 18-year-old female who's just getting into training, would it work? So I took all of these things and tried to create the best possible programs I could from all of the experience I had and said, right, now what I need to do is get this out to as many people as possible where it's, I don't have to one-to-one physically coach them. I've created what I believe to be the best program. I then need to say, this can't be on me. I need to price it in such a way that it's valuable to people. And they say, okay, it's worth this. But at the same time, if they haven't, they're having doubts, they think, you know, it's also not really worth canceling this because it's a resource that is valuable to me, even though I'm not using it right now. And that was kind of the step towards shit. Okay, suddenly I'm not restricted to, you know, Marbella or Dubai or London or blah, blah, blah. This can go anywhere. So then I put it up on Facebook initially because Instagram wasn't enormous or certainly my Instagram wasn't enormous then. The results that were coming in from it were ridiculous from a huge scope. So, you know, putting the work in and taking all these programs to create a great one, the results that were coming in were ridiculous. And this was the important part about making sure I wasn't just trying to make money. I was delivering something quality because then the program started to sell itself. People were telling their friends the amount of marketing material that was coming in. I was like, fucking, this is picking up quickly. This is going. So then obviously the more money that came in, the more I tried to develop, you know, I didn't just go and randomly spend it. I thought, right, what do I need to spend on this to develop it more and develop it more and develop it more? And don't get me wrong, I had some mishaps within it. I remember I, I hit a bit of a ceiling because what I'm not good at, I'm a great, technical trainer like I know my job inside and out there are not many people who know more than me about what I do and I I genuinely do believe that I'm a shit marketer I am a shit marketer so the results that were coming from it only went so far if I couldn't get more eyes on them so I was like well where do I need to go with this (coughs) anyway I ended up going into partnership with a marketing company Um, they were a marketing company based in Spain long story short if you've ever done business in Spain don't ever do it Uh, I got royally stitched up royally stitched up they were siphoning money out of the back of the program um a lot of money and then in order to get them back out of the business i had to pay them off based on spanish law and blah 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 blah. so this basically the whole thing collapsed again went back in rebuilt it all from scratch instead of it being i actually gamified it and this was again long before anyone else gamified this shit it was on a website where you know you couldn't move to the next week unless you'd done all of these bits and it was really really effective um, but then I had to go back to scratch and then rebuilt it up. It started doing really well. And I went back in. I got asked to go back into the company that I used to work for, the biggest PT company on the planet, to build something similar for them, <clears throat> which I then did. But again, it was a case of, you know, I'd hit a ceiling. Our, our paths had converged and we both wanted to go in different directions. So it was time for me to then break off and do it again, which I've now done for a third time. But each time I've done it, I've learned more from the previous time, um, which has made me go in. You know, if I look at how long it took me to build up first time, versus how long it took me to build up the third time, they're worlds apart, absolutely worlds apart because of the lessons I learned each time. And that was basically the path between, you know, bricks and mortar gym and thinking, 
I love this. It's a passion project. You know, that gym has got literally my blood, sweat, tears. I lived in it during COVID because, you know, we had to, you know, at the time I was working for a larger business and we had to deliver content. There was no one else working across the globe. So I was like, well, if I live in the gym, I'll put a bed in the office. I can barbecue on the terrace. I can film as many videos as I need. It's like 10, 12 videos a day, which were servicing all of our clients doing all these things. You know, my heart is in that building. So when it came time to say, right, do I want to fully commit to just online? Or do I want to keep this as well? I couldn't let it go. Like it was like my baby. What it also did for me as an individual restarting is it's accountability. Uh, as in for me and my business, there are so many cowboys out there. There are so many people selling off programs, doing all these things. Hang on a minute. This is not just a random trainer selling programs. This is a business. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is why it's not my name. You know, this is a business. There is accountability. If shit hits the fan, I, I can go to a concrete address and say there's a problem. That for me really helped with the credibility of my business and moving forwards and regrowing the brand, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the, the physical gym is a passion project. Long term, the online stuff is going to be the moneymaker for sure. You know, because as I say, there's no limit. There's nothing, there's nowhere for me to stop when it's online. What's going to limit me is my ability to market the product and my ability to develop the product. But again, the better the product gets, the more money you make, you, you bring in people who are better at what you're shit at. <laughs> and that's my plan, right? You know, the perfect business partner is someone who does all the shit that you're terrible at and vice versa. So that's, you know, that's a long-term plan. And you, um, you know Alex Hormozzi? Yeah, yeah. Have you read Absolutely. his books and everything? Because you described something, because I'm reading his second book. Is his second? I don't know. $100 million. Yeah. Uh, not offers, whatever. Leads. And um, you described basically literally something he talks about which is when you offer so much value in your product, other people sell it for you. Mm -hmm. So you basically yeah, said that you're yeah. terrible at marketing, so you can't do the other stuff, but you managed to get <laughs> it off the ground because your product had such high Correct. value that people would talk to about each other and that, that's how a lot of people grow. Exactly. So uh, something that he says to do is when you sell a product, you should get them to recommend it then when they make the purchase. Yeah, yeah. That's super, super clever. Well, they've so, got the most belief in it, right? Yeah, before, before yeah, they've yeah. even done it, yeah. get them to recommend it and then you can get <coughs> a percentage off. So I thought that was genius. But um, I mean, Hormozzi gives away all of his stuff for free now because mm -hmm. he's like, uh, I mean, he's got all, yeah, exactly, all the money in the world, <laughs> yeah, right? And I think so. that every product, and this is the same with, especially with online products and subscriptions, but also any product, <laughs> and why it's such a good move to try and get those referrals immediately, whether you incentivize them or not, is every single thing you've ever bought has diminishing utility. You buy a car, the first week you have it, you're like, fuck, this is fucking amazing. This is amazing. A year later, it's the same car. You care less about it. You're less enthused by it. Every single program, everything you can ever buy or sell has diminishing utility. The longer you have it generally, the less you give a shit about it. So if you can get it while they iron's hot, right? That works. It's the smart thing to do. You know, people think this is the most valuable thing in the world to me right now, which is why I've just paid for it. You all need to do this as well. You know, mm -hmm. It makes sense. It does make it's sense. Clever. He's a very clever guy, isn't it? Yeah. Alex. Very. Um, what, so let's let's end up with you. Explain, obviously, you explain about what business is. Tell everyone what the where they can find the business, <coughs> where you are, if they can follow you, any any sort of stuff. We'll drop it all in the uh, comments below and everything the, the bio. But if you tell them Instagram or whatever you you want, where you want to be followed, company, everything else. Yeah, so my uh, my Instagram is at Elliot Upton. That's Elliot with two L's and two T's. The gym, the Marbella gym, is uh, at Elements Gym Marbella, um, and. You're basically going to see everything you need to see there. Everything else is kind of self-explanatory once you land on my page. You may have to sift through some your mum jokes and some other random shit, but some of the stuff on there is fairly valuable. Okay, so, so you get some value. Okay, awesome, Elliot, yeah. mate. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, like man. Said, we'll put everything in the bio. All good. And uh might be the longest podcast I've done. So, there we go. So, 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 so Set a record. On. Nice. Nice one.